Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to a special episode of Spill the Tea. I am Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy with JMI. With me is our CEO and President, Dr. Bob McClure. We are coming to you one day after uh, Election Day. We wanted to kind of dive into the results as we've got them thus far. Uh, tons to unpack. Tons. Let's dive right in and talk about expectations versus reality, both in Florida and nationwide. I'm, we're in Florida. Let's jump right into the Sunshine State. Uh, what were your big takeaways on expectations and performance? Well, I think the governor wildly overperformed. Yep. All credit to him for the work that he did. He's going to win probably when it's all said and done by roughly 20 percentage points, roughly a million votes. No, no, no. Roughly a million and a half think votes. Of, think about that. Think about that. He, he won his previous election by 34,000 votes. Yep. You know, you even go back further, whether it's... Rick Scott and his three statewide races or uh, Barack Obama or Donald Trump the first time, they all won Florida by 1% or less. And you have a governor who's going to win the state by 20%. You had people saying that it was possible that he could best Jeb Bush's performance right. of 12 point something percent in his reelection back in 2002, I think. And uh, he not only bested that, in terms of raw vote numbers, he more than doubled it. Right. And that says a lot considering the fact that Florida has become far more of a diverse state demographically, ethnically, racially. Uh, it's just something that we have experienced here. And yet, as it has happened, the state has become deeper and deeper red. And it's not just the governor's race. Not only that, he won Miami-Dade County by 90,000 votes. He won every county but five yep. in the state of Florida. His coattails, I would argue, uh, increased Marco Rubio's Absolutely. size of victory. Yeah. School board elections. Even a blue county like Tallahassee, like Leon County, which is very blue. There was a mini, M-I-N-I, red wave uh, of elections here. For the first time, Tallahassee's going to be... Um, um, Led by, represented yeah. by a Republican in the Florida legislature. So the governor just, you know, across the board was incredibly successful. Yeah, one of the things you pointed to, it's, it's a shocking number to think that uh, DeSantis lost Miami-Dade County four years ago by 21 points. He won it by, I think it was seven or eight points. It translates to 90,000 votes. He won by 90,000 votes. That's more than he won the entire 2018 election right. by in Miami-Dade County. And nationally, I don't know that people can grasp how deep blue Miami-Dade County is. Right. Hillary Clinton in 2016 won Miami-Dade County by 29 points. Right. That's how deep blue that county is. So what is. does this tell you about our state? What does this tell you about the state of the state here in Florida? A couple of things. One is ground game act 
absolutely matters, and it matters a whole lot. So 10, 11 years ago, there was a 520-some thousand voter registration advantage for the Democrats. There is now a 300-and-some thousand vote advantage for the Republicans. They closed that gap, and they overtook it over the course of a 10-year period. It is like everything else. So what's the Hemingway uh, bankruptcy thing? It yeah. uh, slowly and then all at once. It was a slow moving, steady, consistent ground game over the course of cycle after cycle after cycle that gradually closed the gap, then overtook it, and now look at where they are. Secondly, I would say candidates matter. Mm-hmm. I, I would say if we're you know eventually we're going to talk about you know the national uh, landscape, yeah. but. The candidates in Florida fared far better on the Republican side. They were far more disciplined. They they absolutely had a great campaign infrastructure behind them. And so candidates absolutely matter. And, and to your point about Corey Simon won the Senate race in, uh, in Tallahassee, that district. For the Florida legislature. For the Florida yeah. legislature. Unseating a relatively popular incumbent right. for her area that he was an exceptional candidate who who leveraged a great ground game to make the win happen. No doubt about it. And I think it's fascinating. You know, 10 years ago, all of the political scientists across Florida were saying that the Republican Party was going to was in danger of becoming a third party. Yeah. That NPA registration was going to overtake the Republican Party. And so you're absolutely right about the ground game. I think also the Hispanic community clearly here in Florida has has uh, moved into the Republican camp, the ruby red camp. I think, you know, the, the number one question you you and I get all the time when we travel is, okay, are all these transplants coming from other states going to flip Florida blue? The reality is they're not. Not only, um, you know, uh, from a quantitative standpoint, that is party registration, but from a qualitative standpoint. The numbers in in terms of victory of elections continue to grow. Donald Trump won Florida in 2016 by 100,000. He won it in 2020 by 400. Now Governor DeSantis DeSantis wins it by a million and a half votes. I mean, that is a trend line that is undeniable in the state of Florida, but it's different than what we saw happen across the country last night. Yes, absolutely. And and, and that is kind of this, uh, you know, this juxtaposition of Florida right. against the other, uh, you know, 49 states in terms of how the expectations translated into the actual performance. But you talked about something that I wanted to pose as a question. Uh, you mentioned kind of the political refugees, the transplants. Right. Do you think that all of those folks leaving those high-tax, high-regulation states like New Jersey, New York, Michigan, and coming to Florida ended up helping the Democrats in those states because what was left were the dyed-in-the-wool, you know, uh, center-left liberal Democrats. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that that might have been a turning point for those states and maybe it contributed to the Fetterman win or the Gretchen Whitmer win or the Hochul win in New York? Is it something where... Those numbers were enough to to swing it uh, the other way. It has to. It has to affect uh, those races. I do think, and we're going to talk about this more, and you've already referenced it, candidates do matter. Yep. And I don't think 
Mehmet Oz was the best fit to run for the U.S. Senate on the Republican Party in a blue-collar state like Pennsylvania. Having said that, the fact that Florida is gaining 800 people a day coming from the Northeast and the Midwest and the Upper Midwest, that has to affect uh, their ability uh, to win these races in some of these northern states. It has to. Yep. And I, I was reading some stuff uh, late last night and early this morning about the the analyst had called it the balkanization of the country right. in terms of where it's almost like these regions are developing where they are deeply red or deeply blue. And I think last night, while, you know, prior to seven o'clock and the polls closing, we kind of were thinking it might be a Republican wave. I think there's some, you know, credibility to that argument where it may not be waves in, you know, kind of the nation, but it may end up turning into many waves in specific regions in right. cycles to come. Right. And by balkanization, red areas getting more red, yeah. blue areas getting more blue. Now, I, I think that's I think that's very true. I think in Florida, you know, if, if we if we look to the future now, you're gonna have not a single statewide democratically elected official for the first time since Reconstruction era. You're gonna have super majorities uh, in the Senate, are you going to have supermajorities in the House? Yep. Uh, yeah. the, the 28 Republican senators out of 40 and 85 Republican House members out of 120. The, the, the magic number for the House was 81. They got to 85. And I think you're going to see a governor and certainly a House speaker and Senate president uh, who want to go big. So hopefully on policy, which is our bread and butter, we're going to see on school choice, on insurance reform, maybe on uh, trial bar reform, on some of these other things. I think you're going to see the next two years a legislature that is going to go big in the state of Florida. Yeah, and I think that the the really important point about a supermajority is not because of the power to override a, a governor's veto. They're they're aligned right. on policy. The more important part is the ability to move legislation on policy without having the opposing party be able to obstruct it. It allows them more flexibility from a couple of vantage points in the process of kind of the sausage making and how they can be a little bit more bold than they otherwise might have been able to without a supermajority. And like you said, that that bodes well for school choice, for more health care reform, right. for, uh, pro like you said, property insurance reform, getting uh, tort reform across the finish line. A lot of those things are, are going to be on the table in major ways where it, they may have been heavier lifts without that supermajority. Right. right. It's just fascinating to watch. All right, let's shift to the national scene. Yeah. All right, big picture, as we are recording this, it looks like that the Republicans will take the House, but with a slim majority. Yep. Right? Uh, we don't know those numbers yet because they're still coming in. Uh, the U.S. Senate, it looks like it's going to be uh, come down to Georgia. Again. <laughs> Again. Uh, um Raphael Warnock, I think, is ahead by, what, like 2,000 votes at this point? Yeah, and neither of them are at uh, the, 50%. the 50%. The Libertarian candidate, it did look like, got over 1%. So his vote total might have put sure. uh, uh, Herschel Walker over the top. But uh, they'll go to a runoff in December. 
and likely um, likely decide the fate of the U.S. Senate. It looks like uh, Blake Masters in Nevada is is not successful. Um, Laxalt Kelly, Nevada is probably going to win. Yeah. Uh, there was a flip in Pennsylvania. We right. were talking about because that was a Republican. And Nevada seat. was a flip red. So, Pennsylvania flip blue. Yeah. So it kind of all turns into a wash, and then Georgia becomes right. the uh, critical state. Uh, the economic impact of that race between now and December will likely be in the hundreds of millions Can of dollars. Can you imagine what that's going to be like for the next month? I mean, we've lived through it. Hanging chads, you know, Bush v. Gore, all these things, and I, you know, get ready. To our Georgia listeners, so, this is so, going to be a madhouse for the next month. Here's a question. Does Donald Trump engage in that race? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, the reality is that Ron DeSantis had a superb night last night. Donald Trump did not have a very good night last night. No. In fact, all I think the majority, if not all of his... Uh, hand-picked primary winners in those critical Senate, Senate seats, races, Senate races uh, did not win. And yet the guy who he went after in the primary, Brian Kemp, right. not only won, but won handily and showed kind of the blueprint or the, the game plan for how to win without you know, uh, kind of uh, reaping the whirlwind from Donald Trump. Right. And I think we've seen across the country that voters can choose to vote for candidates apart from wherever Donald Trump stands. So I think the key in Georgia is going to be Brian Kemp. It's not going to be as much Donald Trump. Now, we know what happened two years ago, or I guess it was two years ago. Trump drove down the vote in Georgia by talking about the steal, steal, steal. I think it is yet to play out as to what's going to happen, but I think the Libertarian candidate not being on the ballot and Brian Kemp are going to be the two key components to see what happens. In yeah, because I, you know, regardless of uh, which way a person voted, they were voting for a flawed candidate. Right. Yeah, you know, whether it's you know, kind of uh, looking at Herschel Walker's ability to kind of pull in moderates versus Raphael Warnock's uh, kind of issues on policy with respect to his constituency in Georgia not lining up. Uh, It's going to be a challenge. I do agree with you. Brian Kemp is going to uh, play a very big role in the the run-up to uh, the runoff. Yeah, and you said, and this is true in Georgia, it's true in Pennsylvania, I think it's true in Arizona, candidates matter. Candidates matter. So uh, Adam Laxalt in Nevada is a really great candidate, and he's going to win by probably two percentage points. Uh, Mehmet Oz, Herschel Walker, Blake Masters, all flawed candidates in the Senate, and two of those three are probably not going to win. We don't know for sure about Blake Masters at this point, but we don't think he's going to win. And then Herschel's in kind of a knife fight uh, for the next four weeks. So uh, candidates matter, and that's where Governor DeSantis was just a superb candidate. The Democratic Party in Florida, running on fumes, nominates a candidate for the how many times has he he's run? What statewide? What six or seven times total? If you're going back to Secretary of Education, back when you could do that, in Attorney Florida. General, Attorney General, uh, couple yeah. runs at Senate, <laughs> right? 
So I mean, he ran against Bob Graham of all uh, uh, individuals yes. back in the late '90s, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, and I think the question is in Florida: Where does the Democratic Party go from here? Oh, I think I mean, this was not a tsunami. This was not a wave. This was an asteroid crashing into the Democrat Party. They are absolutely decimated, and that is just. I mean, even Democrats are saying that, that this is just, uh, uh, there are counties in the state where NPAs fared better than registered Democrats in terms of voter turnout. I mean, there is going to have to be something that happens in that party to in any way um, begin to rebuild relevance. Right, right. And so where does that put us at the end of the day and i think it is you know the old the old line that we talk about you know make america florida i mean florida is kind of the uh the center of the future of policy and politics uh moving forward from from the left who's going to be very angry Governor DeSantis has become kind of America's governor, kind of similar to after Rudy Giuliani became America's mayor after 9-11. Governor DeSantis has that name recognition. He has that national voice. And so both the left is going to come after him, but the right is going to try to fortify gains and, and move him forward. And so Florida becomes even more so, like we didn't know it before, the center of the universe when it comes to policy and politics uh, in the 50 states. It's going to be a fun couple of years ahead, uh, especially when you consider the implications on uh, the national party. Does Joe Biden uh, announce for re-election? If he does, what does that imply? If he doesn't, who comes up? You've got uh, a vice president and Kamala Harris, largely wanting to make a, a, a run at it. Uh, and then you've got someone from her home state, Gavin Newsom, who handily won re-election as California's governor, who is largely considered probably the best option for a presidential run in terms of what the Democrats' bench is. Right. Uh, and, and then you've got the question of... Uh, uh, of whether or not Donald Trump announces uh, to run for another term as president, how that impacts Florida. It is absolutely going to be uh, interesting times over the course of the next two years right. uh, in the country. Right. But it's just great to know and to live in the free state of Florida, given what happened yesterday and where we're moving forward in terms of a state. You know, the governor took on all took all of these bold positions across the board, whether it was, we talked about this, keeping the economy open, school open, vaccine passports, all of that kind of stuff. And he was rewarded handsomely last night by the people of the state of Florida. Yeah, I was, uh, as many were surprised at the margin, considering the fact that, you know, all right, look, I'll admit it, I'm a a data and policy wonk, and I'm an economics guy. So I look more at the economic issues. He won, as handily as he did, taking on cultural red meat issues. Right. And that was something that the 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 manner in which he won while doing those things just uh, it leveled me in terms of my kind of thought process and analysis of what it will take to win at a national level in years to come. And the coattails. And the coattails. I mean, people forget 
just how uh, people will forget forget just how massive his coattails were in the state of Florida. This has become, as I said earlier, a shiny, deep red, ruby red state. Uh, and it's it's fascinating to watch because growing up here and you know having lived through Florida politics and have you know watched what's happened even over the last twenty or thirty years, uh, it's just it the the changes that have taken place have just been phenomenal. Well, with that, I mean, there are about 60-some races in the House. You've right. got a, a handful, three or four races in the U.S. Senate that are left to be decided. I, for one, am looking forward to our next uh, podcast episode because we'll probably have the results of that and we can kind of unpack the balance of power in Washington vis-a-vis -vis Florida and kind of talk a little bit more and dive into uh, kind of the results there. Sounds great. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this special episode of Spill the Tea. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.